Welcome back to SpinCast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Keegan. You haven't seen me a lot on this podcast, but I am the newly hired production manager for Stay Plugged In, and you'll be seeing me on these a lot more. But on to our guests for this week. We have Lucas Bailey, James Amon, and Brennan Dicker from Georgia State University. How are you gentlemen doing today? Doing well. Good. Thanks, Keegan. (laughs) Good to hear. And I'm glad you guys are doing well. How's quarantine treating you? Well, I can't wait to get out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So something we always like to start off with here uh, on SpinCast is we just want you guys to kind of uh, give a little bit of an introduction about yourselves. How did you get involved in esports in the first place? And how do you, uh, ch- and uh, where did your passions come from for esports and potentially gaming in general? And whoever wants to start, I know we have three of you here. Whoever I'll, wants to start, I'll, can go ahead. I'll just start um, on my end. Uh, I, I, I lead the, I'm the executive director of Creative Media Industries Institute at CMI at GSU. And uh, what really struck me about esports was even before I joined our crew at, at CMII, I was in film and television for a number of years, and uh, on the specifically on the post production side of the business. And so, someone invited me to DreamHack. I don't know if you guys are familiar with DreamHack, um, but DreamHack Atlanta, when it first came to Atlanta, the first first season that it was there, this was about I guess three or four years ago now, three years ago, and um, I was struck by. Um, the, the energy and the audience and just all of what was going on there. I had never seen anything quite, uh, you know, quite like that before. And it was in this, uh, you know, entertainment that was just this, this, enter- this entertainment scope of being in like in a stadium that really just, uh, I wasn't familiar with it. So I wanted to learn more. And so the more I learned, the more I realized how much I wanted to, um, you know, get involved. And I guess the, the second part of this is I was in sports production for many years in Chicago, um, specifically with the Bulls. And so The Last Dance, I was watching a lot of that because I was behind the scenes during that time. And, you know, when you when you think of esports and the way it's, the casting that's going on, it's very similar to sports broadcasting. And so there are very, there are many similarities to that. And I think that that's what really grabbed me on that end of it, saying we have to, we should move towards a direction of building that within a gaming program at CMII. And just to back up for a second, um, you know, CMII has three majors. We have a media entrepreneurship major, game design, and game development majors as well. So the students get a, a really good mix. But I think I also want, we also wanted to incorporate esports. So we're moving toward that right now and incorporating esports within our curriculum. Um, so with that, I'll let the other guys speak, then we can come back to it. Sort of, uh, this is Lucas. I sort of fell backwards into esports. So I've been obviously a fan of professional esports since League of Legends season one is when I really started following professional esports. Um, but as far as working in it, I started at Georgia State three or four years ago now um, when the original director, Dr. J. O'Toole, was selected to lead the program as it was starting up. Uh, and the problem was that he had a good background in the entrepreneurship side of game development, he was in the business department but didn't actually play video games. Um, and then so he was looking for, yeah, like an assistant director to come in and have someone with experience in the games and the teams that they wanted to start up. Uh, so my background was actually in coaching academic debate, uh, but I've been a gamer all my life. And so it was a, a fairly easy transition to, to coaching and managing our esports teams. And for, uh, for my part, you know, as the director of uh, operations at CMII, uh, I've been with uh, the center for uh, a couple of years now, uh, although I've been with the university for uh, uh, close to 20 years. Uh, I've always been uh, into uh, uh, competitive gaming, although it was much more informal when I was coming up. 
Uh, I was here at the university at a time when we would take over the computer labs and play StarCraft and were often kicked out or would get in trouble for taking over the computers. And now we've evolved to a, a place where we have competitive gaming that's sanctioned and supported by the university. Um, what I really, what really caught my eye and really wanted me, wanted to uh, make me contribute to the program was I saw very early on that it was a, a, a new uh, media product um, in, in, a, in a, an emerging area of competition on video games or with video games, but it was an emerging uh, uh, media product that would give students the ability to build this media product from the ground up. And that's just not something you get to do every day, especially with a competitive sport. Um, in almost every other you know, area of traditional sport, um, uh, uh, anybody going into that, the, that area of expertise would, would be going into an established sport with established uh, policies and guidelines and processes and technologies. And what I've seen with um, eSports is everything is being built from the ground up. Everybody is trying to figure it out. And there's a lot of innovation going on and a lot of uh, traditional broadcast workflows and event workflows that are being challenged and changed uh, along the way. Well, it's one of the great things about being in a digital medium is we can communicate fast enough and we can talk with each other fast enough and hold events fast enough to be able to change those norms and challenge them. So mm -hmm. excellent. And uh, I want to touch on a little bit here, just a, just a real quick for some of our viewers who aren't familiar with it. The Creative Media Industries Institute is an institute partnered with Georgia State, I believe. If you guys would uh, kindly tell us a little bit about how, how CMII works. Sure, sure. In a nutshell, you know, we're, we're teaching the next generation of digital storytellers through emerging technology, which includes augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, gaming is, is obviously a component, as well as motion capture, volumetric capture, it, all to tell stories. And so th this, you know, runs into different uh, sectors that, that the students are taught. But in, in the end, they get a good foundation, whether in, me they're me in media entrepreneurship or game design or game development, where they can get a good foundation, where they can hopefully jump off, get jobs at, in the industry, and they get firsthand knowledge with all of the equipment that we have there. We have some state-of-the-art equipment that's pretty fantastic for the student to, to work on. And that really fell in place with uh, GSU Esports. When we saw that we had these gaming degrees here, what a great combination to also have uh, you know, esports within the same facility. And that really was a, it was a, it was a, nice, uh, a nice fit for us. Now, again, it, it's taken some time to integrate the esports component to it, but when you look at the revenue that's generated out of esports, and it was a 900 million in 2019 alone, you know, you look at those type of numbers. We see, we we also touch, you know, on a lot of different companies that are working within Atlanta and and the region that are that are in esports or in gaming, and so uh, it just makes a, a perfect fit for us. If that answers your question. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense because with that, with all that technology coming around and that you guys have access to, I can imagine there'd be a lot of really unique opportunities to get students involved in esports, not just on the playing side, but also in the production, the casting, uh, the the graphic design, and every little aspect that goes into running an esports uh, broadcast. No doubt. I mean, I think that that's been one of the big advantages we've had is there's a company, Skillshot. I'm not not sure if you're uh, aware of them, but they yes. uh, they're here in Atlanta and Todd Harris was really, really helped us out at the beginning of CMII when, when he was over at his other company and then coming transitioning to Skillshot, just gave us another opportunity to work with him. And we're coming out with a class this fall through the Georgia Film Academy, a relationship with them along with CMII, where uh, Todd is teaching a course in, in, in uh, casting. 
So what a wonderful opportunity for students. Exactly. No, what a wonderful <laughs> opportunity for students to get not only, you know, the university experience, but also have the, the, the professional experience of having someone that's in the industry teaching you hands-on, which we're really excited about. Yeah, that, that sounds like an amazing opportunity for your students. And speaking of your students, so um, walk us through, uh, please, if you would, like a day, like a typical day in, in the life of a, a student athlete involved in esports at Georgia State University, if you would, like what do practice schedules look like? They wake up, uh, they go to class, and then they go to practice? Or do you kind of uh, work on a little bit more of a different uh, work life cycle uh, as, as to how you uh, operate things there? It's mostly the same as any other college student. You know, they're, they're going to class, they're having fun, but two to three times a week, they will come into our dedicated computer lab and spend about two to three hours practicing with their team. Uh, it obviously varies from team to team, uh, what they're practicing, how often they're practicing. Uh, we have teams for Hearthstone, League of Legends, Smite, Paladins, and Overwatch. Um, but that, that's the main difference is, yeah, like any person competing in collegiate athletics, they come in, they practice, and they try and get better. Well, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that, is, um, that is definitely what you're shooting for. Uh, and, and then in terms of a work-life balance, how do you encourage your students to really follow um, a bit more of the like, healthy habits? How do you encourage those? Because that's a huge problem in collegiate esports right now, is getting these students to not burn themselves out uh, on, on gaming and then start missing, start missing classes, maybe some academic uh, downgrade performance. So how do, you, how do you encourage those healthy habits? So as far as academic performance go, we have actual academic requirements. Uh, students have to maintain at least uh, a 3.0 GPA. They have to be full-time students. So all of our varsity players know that they need to maintain their academic performance. They can't neglect their studies for gaming. Um, and as far as just general you know, healthy habits, we try to encourage students to keep a limit on the number of solo queue hours they're playing. We have fairly hard caps on the number of practice hours that are gonna happen in a week. So if there's more competition, if we're entered in two or three tournaments, we'll scale back the amount of practice. We really try to have players not practicing and competing for more than 15 hours a week or so. Um, just because obviously you're right, we don't want to encourage those kind of habits. We don't want players to be sitting in front of a screen for eight or 10 hours a day, and we don't want them to be neglecting their studies. We don't want them to be neglecting their classes uh, in favor of gaming. Right. And, and you said that they have them practicing and competing for, for a grand total of 15 hours a week. So yeah. I guess that rolls us into another good question is, how do you prepare your students specifically for competitions, whether it's on a minor scale or maybe even a major scale? Uh, and, and we know that Georgia State is heavily involved in, in collegiate esports, and they have a really long history of good performance. How do you keep that up? And how do you keep these students prepared for these uh, while, while, again, maintaining that work-life balance? Yeah. There are a couple of different elements to good performance. Obviously, one of the largest is far and away just mental. Players need to feel that they can do well. They need to they need to go into a match trusting their team, knowing that they can beat whoever it is they're up against, and trusting in what they have practiced and the strategies they've developed to see them through, through the victory. Uh, so a lot of it is really just sort of maintaining that attitude, maintaining good cohesion, ensuring that players are well rested, that they're confident, that they yeah that they have the attitude necessary to go in and win a match. In terms of actual practice, scrimmages are a huge, huge component. Uh, for most games, solo queue or playing ranked ladder can teach you only so much, especially for team games. You're not really learning how to play with a team if you're playing with a random pickup group of people. Um, and so scrimmages against other, especially against other collegiate teams or even some 
uh, like amateur teams or, or low ranked pro teams can be very, very useful um, because it teaches you how to play against another committed, well-developed team and how to counter the strategies that come out there, which really don't come out anywhere other than organized play. Mm -hmm. So talking about this then, um, you've said that, uh, that you find scrimmages and everything uh, for your teams, and I can imagine there, there's a place to find that now, but um, in terms of finding more scrimmages, potentially more organized play for colleges, how do you expect that to grow or change in the next like five to 10 years? And how does it really need to grow or change? And really anybody can answer this one because of the fact that you're all heavily involved in this and you, you see it from different angles. So I'd like, I'd like to hear kind of each of your opinions on this, especially uh, well from both the production side and also from the competitive side. So I guess starting with me, I have honestly no idea how it's going to change. I mean, to trying to talk 10 years out, the oldest collegiate esports team, esports team in the United States is six years old at this point. So you're, it's, it's essentially double the, the current lifetime. I have no idea how that's going to shift. Um, I think what we're going to see is a lot more institutionalization and organization. We're going to see the growth of organizations like NACE, the National Association of Collegiate Esports, that will hopefully provide a lot less haphazard method of organizing inter-school competition and organizing inter-school practices. Right now, you organize scrimmages basically through who you know, you get contacts at other schools, you organize scrimmages with them, but there aren't really large systems for ensuring schools know which other universities have esports programs, how to contact them, who's heading them, all that information isn't really organized yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a lot of ways. Um, so hopefully we'll see some greater uh, structure to that. Yeah, and the field is so new, as as uh, Lucas was just talking about. I think it, it is it is challenging, and yet, I mean, we're we're doing it by offering our own events, uh, Pantherland, which we do in the spring and the fall. But again, I think that it's something that we're trying to look at it from a regional perspective as well. How many schools can we get involved, and who's actually out there doing it? I mean, our our, our we we're in our third season. Is that right, Lucas? As far as third through third year? Yeah. Yeah. We, so ju we just finished it. Yeah just finished our third year. And so even with that, I mean, I think we're, we're well ahead of a number of schools that, that, you know, have reached out to us to say, how do you start this program? So it's really getting everybody on board. And then, uh, you know, I think NACE has been a good example as far as uh, joining and, and or at least us joining them. And then I think there's over 170, 180 colleges that are already involved. Yeah. With them. So that, again, that's a larger organization. But again, we're also looking around and, in, in, you know, regionally to see what's going on and who we can play with because we want our we want our teams to be competitive and we want them to do the best they they can so there's there's a lot of different avenues there that we're exploring well that's fantastic to hear and so touching on this a little bit more there's been a lot of talk about the ncaa getting involved in esports uh and uh there 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 are some really good um some really good points for it, some really good points against it. So uh, this one is particularly tailored towards Lucas because he's involved in more of the esports operations side. Um, do you feel as though that it, that would be a good idea for uh, really a centralized body already established like the NCAA to come in on this? Or do you think that NACE is already doing a good enough job and will continue to build up from there? And uh, where, Or do you think that there doesn't need to be a governing body at all? Personally, I think NACE is doing an excellent job. Um, there's always been a lot of discussion about the NCAA potentially taking over or administering esports. And there have always been sort of two major issues that would need to be dealt with if that, was, if that were going to come true. The first is that cash pricing is ubiquitous in esports. 
um, and virtually no team and no player wants to see that go away. So if the NCAA was going to, to come and administrate, there would need to be some serious discussion about how um, about compensation for players and whether or not players could could profit or receive prizing from their competition in tournaments. And the second is the relationship of the NCAA with actual game developers, because obviously, unlike traditional sports, people actually own the games mm -hmm. <laughs> that are being played. And so, if you know, the, if Riot, if the developer of League of Legends says, "Yeah, the NCAA can't play League of Legends." then they can't. There's no recourse around that. Uh, and so it would depend a lot on those relationships between the NCAA and, and the various developers. Um, and I, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure what's in progress for that. I know that NACE has done a very good job maintaining good relations with developers and regularly expanding the, the competition that they offer. Mm -hmm. And you're touching on a lot of those same, uh, a lot of those same questions and a lot of the same topics that we've heard uh, when talking about um, th this unifying body of of collegiate esports, um, and uh, there, there's definitely going to be a lot of challenges with that in the future. Nace, though, is it is doing a good job. Nace, uh, I'm I'm very familiar with Nace myself, coming from the collegiate scene originally. Um, but uh, so I kind of want to circle back a little bit here. I want you to tell me a little bit about your program at Georgia State, particularly with the tournaments that you play in, your rivals potentially. I know you have a rivalry with Georgia Southern. I know players from Georgia Southern because uh, I was involved in the Collegiate Battlegrounds Association. They have a team there. Nice. Um, so so tell, us, tell us a little bit about uh, the specific like uh, student culture and uh, competitive culture at Georgia State involving those tournaments and, uh, and rivalries. Sure. I think on the whole, we have very, very driven and very competitive players um, for as far as rivalries go, probably the biggest is, is in smite between our smite team and Georgia Tech smite team. Um, they've been in at least one national final match together. Uh, the, the AVGL finals uh, last fall mm. was between Georgia State and Georgia Tech and uh, we beat them. Yeah. I, I, think, I think, I, I, think I saw some clips for that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're, they're a fantastic team. Uh, they actually, they beat our team in the final match of our tournament this spring. Um, so that, that's a very intense rivalry. Uh, but both players from, from both teams, you know, they, they really enjoy that competition. They enjoy trying to, to better themselves, trying to, to uh, improve faster than the, uh, than the other team is going. Uh, for Overwatch, probably our biggest rival is KSU, Kennesaw State University. Mm -hmm. uh, they're another very strong local team. Um, Southern, we actually haven't seen that much in the last couple of years. For the for the first two years, they were yeah very strong locally, but I haven't seen them much in competition recently. So so we'll see if they can do a comeback. Yeah, let's hope. So uh, so does your whole school kind of get around this this rivalry, or is it just like involved in like uh, the esports department, or how how into it and 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 how supportive of this uh, does does the faculty student culture get there? Like, do they tune in to watch matches, or, do, or how, how big is your following within the school? We've got a decent sized following. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing to remember is that school itself is about fifty four thousand students, mm. um, but there are I'd say probably five hundred to a thousand people who are regularly involved in esports in some capacity, either attending or competing in our events. They come to use the lab. Uh, or they do, you know, something else engaged with esports, like the the classes at, at CMII. Yeah, and I think that that's a, it's education too. Just not only with uh, the the students at GSU that were there, we're we're here, and we're actually you know doing these these uh, programs, but also just outside of GSU, as you guys know. I mean, just talking it up, a lot of people just don't know what esports is. Even you know other, obviously the younger generation does, but then you're talking about 
you know, kids, um, kids, parents, you know, worry that their students are want to do these, this thing called esports and what is it, you know, and, and just edu educating them in a way that makes sense. I think that we have you know, strong support, and I think we've done that through making these specific events like a Pantherland, which we do in the spring and the fall. And those those used to be um, at let's see, we had it at the basketball arena one 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 uh, year, and then we had it at the football stadium the the next. And James, how many people do we have come come in there at, at, at those events? Uh, I believe at the uh, uh, the stadium, I believe we had over three hundred. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the arena, there was, there was less at the arena, but, but not by much. Um, so we've, we've increased, uh, uh, you know, foot traffic as well as, as online viewership each time we've had a tournament. And we had to do a, se a quick segue on our, on our tournament this year. We did, we were going to be doing it at a, as, a, on a, as a physical presence and then we had to go hundred percent online. And that's taught us a lot just in, in the year, in the year of COVID in this pandemic that we're in as to how much energy we had to expel to actually get that online. But through that, we had some, you know, remarkable success as far as, um, you know, views. Um, I know that, uh, James, you have the stats on that as well, as far as just an average of views. But, you know, to us, we really see the future. Again, it'll be a hybrid, hopefully, eventually. But for right now, we'll be doing a lot more online events in the future, just because that's where we're at. And something, something that really speaks to uh, uh, something you brought up earlier, Keegan, is, uh, you know, trying to help student athletes or, or, or students who are interested in esports understand that there are a lot of other positions to fill aside from uh, uh, being a competitor mm -hmm. um, and that a lot of those, those positions and roles translate to other industries or other pursuits. And that's, that's really part of our DNA at uh, uh, GSU and why the eSports program is in the CMII. Um, understanding is quite a few universities will have the eSports program either in athletics or possibly even in the uh, student affairs department. Mm -hmm. um, but we have it housed in the CMII because we see it as a, a, a proving ground and a training ground for so many other areas of production, whether it's, you know, uh, 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 being a technical director, uh, working either on, on the switcher or, or on the uh, mixers, uh, actually engineering the show, uh, working in social media to help promote the show, uh, behind the scenes event management, um, as well as, uh, you know, the dining services, transportation, security. And what we've tried to do, and this, this speaks to um, your question about how many people, what kind of support do we get for the program around campus, we're actually very integrated with, with a number of areas uh, on campus that all contribute to uh, any of our uh, uh, live events. Um, so we work with the police department, we work with uh, uh, private security groups, we work with our own dining services that provides our catering. Uh, facilities management, uh, especially through athletics, um, for use of either the arena, the basketball arena, or the football stadium. Um, we also share much of the technical team that produces all of our collegiate sports uh, for the university. They also work on our esports uh, productions. Uh, most, most. Uh, most often when we're, we're doing our Pantherland event, either in the arena or the stadium. So there really is a group effort going mm -hmm. on. It's not, um, 
you know, a, a small number of people kind of pigeonholed over in a corner somewhere at the university. It's really uh, kind of an all hands on deck and legal is another area that we work with quite often. So there's a lot of support in the university for this program. Mm-hmm. And do you work mainly with, so you, say, you said you do work with a lot of external organizations as well and a lot of professionals in the field, but how many students do you bring in on these, on the production side of this stuff? Is it, is it, would you say it's like majority or does it share about even amounts? Because I so, can imagine that, that you'd want to get as many students in on this as experience. We do. We do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think the goal is, uh, especially for uh, our, our in-house uh, our live productions, which is which is where I've arguably been the most involved, our Pantherland tournaments. Um, the goal is really to get as close to 100% student-run uh, event as is possible. Uh, I would say we're in sheer numbers. We're we're well over uh, 75% student versus 25% staff. Although quite a few of those volunteers and, and, and student workers that are working on the production are, um, you know, volunteering to help set up and, and basically take care of a lot of the legwork that goes into the production. The folks who are working actually producing, uh, doing the technical production, I would say we're closer to half and half. Um, we still have our... Uh, uh, professionals that work in the in the university producing the athletics uh, or traditional athletics events uh, are doing training uh, uh, and mentorship with students to bring them up to speed on broadcast technologies. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing, and this kind of speaks to the disruptive nature of of esports as it relates to production technologies, are uh, technical groups that traditionally produce. Our, our sports at GSU have learned about things like OBS from our students. And those, that, that is an example of a technology that is directly impacting and disrupting our traditional broadcast workflows. We used it heavily when we did our online version of Pantherland. And uh, there's talk of uh, incorporating OBS more into our traditional sports in lieu of, uh, you know, more traditional appliances like uh, uh, TriCasters and, and uh, different video switchers. Yeah, OBS is a very versatile program. It can be used for a lot more than, than most people seem to think. It has a lot of applications for sports that I feel could be used as well. But good to hear that you're getting students involved in the production side as, as a professional production manager and caster myself. It's, it's great to hear that there are more people being trained uh, on how to operate the various aspects of an, of an esports event production. Now, I have, we're going to wrap this up shortly, but I have one more question, and I want all of you to answer this one for me. Uh, if you had to give advice, or if you're going to give advice, because there are high school and college students that, that see this actively, and even down to middle school, if you're going to give advice to those students as to how to pursue uh, their passions in esports, um, whether it be production, casting, playing, it doesn't matter, how would you give them, or how would you tell them to continue on and um, really uh, turn their their hobby, their passion into something that is potentially career viable and how would you suggest them to defend that to the critics in their life especially in this uh in this world where it's still fairly stigmatized um by a lot of parents and faculty in schools who wants to take that on first lucas (laughs) i'll go for it um so as far as playing 
Uh, that's probably the hardest to defend. Um, but I think the two things that are key, especially for high school students that are looking to play at a collegiate level, one of the most important things you can do is first of all, learn how to practice, right? Not just play the game for fun, not just play solo queue, but learn how to set specific achievable goals, how to create benchmarks for yourself and work on specific skills. Um, because most of the time just playing solo queue, you're not gonna get that much better, right? You'll learn some stuff over time, but it's not the same as dedicated practice that's focused on improving skills as opposed to just playing the game. Second, for most team-based games, learn how to play as part of an actual team, whether that be joining an amateur team, playing esports at the high school level, now that a lot of high schools offer esports, or even just like playing with a couple friends on inconsistent teams, learning how to play consistently with a group of people and how to operate as a team that's more than just a couple of sentences in chat every now and then is critical because what really distinguishes okay players from great players at the level of organized competition is how well they're able to work within their team and how well they're able to function as part of that group. Um, as far as justifying it goes, that one's a little more difficult. <laughs> um, I'd say the best way to justify it is to do well in everything else. Uh, like if, if you're, you know, doing exceptionally well in academics, if you're involved in other areas of life, if you're, uh, if you're you know, socially active, it's much easier to justify spending your time on video games uh, than if you're devoting the, the whole of your efforts towards video games. Um, when it comes towards uh, production or other areas of, of um, you know, esports interest, I'll let James and Brennan speak a little bit more to that. But I'd say the far and away the best thing you can do is just get involved, find esports events, find production, find anything that you can do and just go out and do it because that's still far and away the best way to learn. Mm -hmm. And I think I could, uh, I could chime in a bit on, on the uh, somewhat on the production side, but really uh, kind of an overall uh, outlook as well. Um, personally, one thing that I, I try to impart to uh, students whenever possible, especially any students who are volunteering or working on our productions or, or any other area of the CMII is really to let them know the value of being present um, and being eager. Um, you know, so, so often um, uh, uh, some students will come to us and, and they, they kind of have a tempo of waiting for the next thing to happen. And I try to help them obtain a, a tempo of seeking out the next thing and making the next thing happen and really being proactive uh, about uh, a kind of uh, uh, charting their course and, and charting even whatever their next task is um, so that they can frankly be valuable uh, to themselves and to others, um, which will, will serve them well in their career. Um, and on the uh, uh, production side, you know, I think Lucas was absolutely right. You know, you, you have to temper expectations when students really have their heart set on becoming a competitive player. Uh, and, and that's similar to uh, some students that we have coming into the CMII who say, you know, want to be either the uh, lead singer or they want to be the director. And if they can't be either of those two things, then they'll be a waiter or a waitress. And, you know, we try to uh, help them set reasonable goals and expectations for themselves and make them understand, look at your favorite video game, look at your favorite movie, look at your favorite album and read the credits look at all those positions that made that happen. Those are all people who are uh, uh, contributing their creative, uh, uh, their creative fire to make that product viable. Uh, they're all people who are, are, are changing their own lives and everyone else's lives by their efforts. 
and and any one of those positions is a, a viable uh, career path for you to take. And so I think helping students see what what kind of a team effort any kind of broadcaster entertain almost any kind of broadcaster entertainment is is today and helping them uh, uh, figure out which of those areas they might best succeed in and be able to contribute to uh, once they've uh, uh, realized that and, and sorted through that then they have a basis on which to defend their choice you know because they're they have reasonable goals set for themselves I echo all that James and Lucas have said. Obviously, a commitment, you know, is, is important. Uh, this, you have to have an energy. You have to have some. You have to really want something like this. I, I can remember, um, you know, in my own journey with this was very similar in some respects because uh, I came from a family that was uh, a lot of uh, computer scientists. And um, to tell my dad, who was, a, who was a professor of computer science, that he wanted to, that I wanted to go on film and television at 16, was quite a uh, shocked to him, you know, trying to figure out what the hell am I, what, 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 what is this kid talk? What is he talking about? So the idea of having to explain that, I think, you know, you, it, to me, it was just being immersed in that and, and in a time where I could take an internship or I could go to a production company and say I'd help out for free. Obviously so, these things have changed a bit, but there, there are avenues that students, whether they're junior high or in high school, that can take advantage of going on Twitch. I mean, really immersing themselves, if they're not necessarily in the gaming side of it as far as being a gamer, but they like the production side, to really look at, you know, going on Twitch, seeing how, how things are produced, just visually looking at it, but also getting involved on a local level. And we have Access Replay here in Atlanta, which is a great resource for, for kids to, to get involved with gaming. And I think there's a lot of different areas that students can, can look toward in doing that and just, you know, read up on things. I mean, I, I really feel like uh, this industry, like film and television, is very competitive, like you were saying before, even just, you know, even on, on the side of actually getting into the, the sports part of this, the broadcast part of it, or casting part of it, it's going to be very competitive. So you really have to be, you really want, you'll really want it. So you just have to, you know, go through and really make sure that that's a, a direction you want to go. But then along the same lines, learn the craft, you know, learn audio, learn, 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 learn all of what needs to be done there. There's so many different positions and sometimes these, uh, sometimes students set themselves up, like James was saying, they want to be a director, they want to be an actor, they want to do something like that. And if they can't do that, then they just want to be a waiter. Well, there's so many jobs out there that they may actually be really fulfilled. They just have to learn. And hopefully, like a place like CMI helps them, you know, teaches them different directions they can go in their career to where they can get engaged at certain levels. So all that to say, I think, you know, I, I hope that students would take the time to do a little more research, but have fun with it. I mean, they, mm -hmm. bottom line, you want to enjoy what you're doing and hopefully that they'll, they'll get something out of that instead of it being a job, it's something that's just ingrained and part of, part of their life of what they do. Well, it's one of the great things about esports, isn't it? Is that they can they can actually start before they even go off to college to try and learn these skills professionally. They can no they can hop in, start casting for some community organization. There there are tons out there. You can find them on Twitch everywhere. And and, and that's something that that's great about esports is that they they kind of have a, a few of these skills before coming into the professional production scene. It's a young, it's so young right now. Everything you you can get involved on so many levels. Um, because nothing's nothing's necessarily regulated as much as you you see in other 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 industries, and so yeah, of course. I mean, you can definitely do that, and you can do it on your own. I mean, you can set up your own channels. So why not? I mean, just just start with that. I think it's a fantastic idea. It's things that we couldn't do when we were younger because we didn't have the technology. 
but um, these students do. I mean, they have the they have the technology to do it. And if they don't, they can find through their school or through other opportunities find the technology, which is great. Yeah. Absolutely. There are so many more opportunities for younger students in esports now. But gentlemen, thank you so much for coming out and being on SpinCast today. If you would real quick, just plug yourselves and Georgia State for me. Tell us where we can find you, websites, Twitters, everything, uh, so our viewers can go uh, ask you some questions if they have any for you. Lucas, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, so you can find um, Georgia State University on Twitter at uh, GSU Esports. Um, we have Facebook as well, as well at the, the same uh, address, GSU Esports. And our website is um, uh, esports at gsu.edu. Yeah. James? James? Well, I would echo that. I mean, definitely come to esports.gsu.edu. Uh, um, frankly, if you anybody did want to reach out uh, directly uh, to me or others at the CMII, you could also email CMII at gsu.edu um, and uh, I'll be happy to answer any questions anybody has. And Brandon? Yeah, and, uh, anyone that wants to learn more about Creative Media Industries Institute at Georgia State, you can go to cmi.gsu.edu. That's our site. It talks about our programs, talks about esports, everything you can, can get connected there. And we'd really be excited to hear from people. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen, for being on SpinCast today. And thank you all for watching as well. Just remember, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay plugged in.